calling us to your kingdom and into your people, that we might be disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, and to learn about him and to learn from him the way in which we ought to go, that we might walk in his paths. We pray that you would therefore bless this time of instruction, that we might understand your word and walk by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to chapter, I think it's 15. It's on repentance. And if you're looking it up in the uh, hymnal, it's on page 856, chapter 15. Um, Not just of repentance, but of repentance unto life. Of repentance unto life. Again, we're looking at kind of our response to the gospel, our way that we um, receive the gospel and then uh, act accordingly. Uh, Earlier we looked at what God has worked by his grace uh, in the life of those whom he saves, effectually calling them and bringing them into a possession of justification, adoption, and sanctification. But now looking at it at at kind of a different angle, looking at uh, what we do, uh, saving faith, Repentance unto life, uh, good works. Uh, Today we come to repentance unto life. Uh, Let me go ahead and just begin with the first paragraph. Article 1. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. All right, so just introducing the... The topic here, repentance unto life, I think that phrase is, is important and helpful, that it's in contrast to worldly sorrow unto death, uh, godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Uh, we find that contrast in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 7, there is certainly a, a type of sorrow that does not lead unto life, which might regret certain actions, but does not turn unto God. Can you think of anyone who manifested that sort of worldly sorrow? Judas, Judas right. Yeah, he realized what he did was wrong, um, but he did not turn unto God, but rather fell into despair. Um, repentance unto life, therefore, is um, something more than that. It is a, a turning unto God. Uh, But both of them do involve uh, sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, he says, actually, let me begin in verse 9. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas but worldly grief produces death. And I'll go ahead and read the next verse. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. You know, so Paul had been writing to the Corinthians several letters, and here he is glad to see that they had received his uh, reproof and had a certain type of sorrow that led to repentance. 
And a repentance combined with this, this indignation, this fear, this zeal uh, to turn from their ways uh, unto God, uh, but not, not merely grief, not merely a worldly grief that produces death. Now, the phrase repentance unto life uh, is a biblical phrase, and it comes from a passage in Acts. And in fact, I almost considered only using texts from the books of Acts, because there is a lot in the book of Acts on repentance. You could build a whole theology of repentance just on the book, and maybe uh, Luke as well, but the book of Acts has a lot to say on the topic. And uh, in Acts 11, chapter 18, when Peter had recounted to the brothers what had happened at Cornelius' household, Uh, He reported what had happened. Um, This is what happened. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Uh, And so uh, this is a repentance. It leads to life. Uh, They had received salvation. uh, And... Notice also it says that God granted them it. Uh, This was something given by God, uh, that he had given not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles, not just the Jews and Samaritans, but the Gentiles, this repentance that leads to life. And so the Confession of Faith calls it an evangelical grace. Um, It is a grace that Uh, accompanies salvation, that is a response to the gospel, uh, evangelical referring to the gospel, and uh, it is a grace, it is one that is given uh, by God, that God works uh, in sinners. Now, the article also says that this, the doctrine or the teaching of repentance unto life should be preached by every minister of the gospel Uh, as well as faith in Christ. And so, uh, every minister of the gospel, you know, those who've been called to preach, uh, that phrase is used several times in the confession of faith, uh, should be preaching both faith in Christ and repentance unto God. And again, the book of Acts, uh, in chapter 24, verse, uh, no, sorry, chapter 20, verse 21, Paul says this very thing. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus, And he says, I'll go back to verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And so that was the way he was able to, to summarize his message, which goes back to the end of Luke. He said, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You know, was the way Jesus summarized the Great Commission there at the end of Luke, uh, well, so on, you know, here, it's repentance towards God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, faith, we noted, uh, uh, faith is in God, faith is in his word, but it's, it's especially in God's provision of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation and rests in him. Uh, repentance is unto God, is a turning from sin and unto God uh, that we might uh, serve him. Let's look at Article 2, in which now repentance is described uh, in more detail. By it, a sinner 
out of the sight and sense not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins, as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. It's kind of a complicated sentence, but it's a rich one. has a lot packed in there. Uh, let's begin with the fact that there's kind of a dual motive, that there's, there's something that you see that moves you to repentance. And there's kind of two things that you might see and have a sense of. Uh, first, a true sight and sense of your sins. Um, a person is moved to repent first by understanding his sins, that he is a sinner and that those sins uh, bring him into danger. But not only that, but those sins are filthy. Those sins are odious. Those sins are shameful. And those sins themselves are something to turn from, and they're contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God. You know, how, how do we know sin? How do we know sin? The law of God. The law of God, right. The law convicts us of our sins and shows the contrast between God's holy nature and where we fall short. Um, and so the preaching of the law is important in moving people to repentance. It's not the only thing, we'll see, but uh, we see that these sins of ours are uh, contrary to God and are filthy and odious. Uh, it's like finding a, a dead rat in your bed, Right? It's, it's something that you want to shrink from, that is repulsive, that is uh, in itself uh, uh, bad, and you want to turn from. But not only that, not only true sight and sense of your sins, but also the apprehension of God's mercy in Christ to such as are penitent. That God, through his mercy in Christ and his death and resurrection, uh, will show mercy to those who repent. And so this gives the sinner hope. This gives the sinner somewhere to turn to. He wants to turn from the sin, and now he is encouraged with hope that he can turn unto God. And this mercy in Christ further convicts him of his sins, that, that he has sinned against a merciful God, one who does not delight in the death of a sinner, who has provided a way of salvation. And it's even worse to sin and continue in sin uh, with such a God. But it also gives you a hope uh, that there is uh, a, somewhere to turn to that we might turn from sin unto God. So both the grace of God and the law of God move a person to repentance when they're combined. Without the first, there's no need to repent. If you, if you haven't sinned, if your sins aren't bad, um, you know, there's no reason to change. But the second furthers that conviction and gives hope so that one turns to run to God. What happened when Adam and Eve learned that they were sinners and they had some true sight and sense of their sin, but they had not yet received the apprehension of God's mercy? They ran from God. They tried to cover themselves. But uh, God's mercy in Christ causes us to run to God as those who are uh, ashamed and, and confessing our sins, seeking his mercy. 
And so this is the sight and sense and understanding. And with that understanding, the sinner grieves for and hates his sins so much so and in such a way that he turns from them. We saw that in 2 Corinthians, right? You have grieved in such a way that you repent. Um, So grieves and hates his sin, grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God. Um, We could look at a lot of different scripture passages. Um, Ezekiel 36 uh, speaks of our understanding of sin as something to to turn from and be ashamed for. First, Ezekiel 18. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be a ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Now turn from these transgressions. Um, Turn from them and cast them away from you. All of them, universally. Don't be like, well, I'll turn away from this sin, but I really want to keep this one. No, you you repudiate sin, and you turn unto God. Ezekiel 36 says that it is not... uh, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. You know, so when our membership vows talk about, you know, do you abhor yourself because of your sins? You know, this type of language of abhorrence and loathing is, is uh, not where we stay. We're lifted up by the mercy of God, but it is our response to sin. That that is how we view sin, as something to be ashamed of and seek to turn from. In Acts, again, we find this language of turning. Uh, Joel speaks of returning to the Lord God as well, but in Acts 3, 19 through 20, uh, who's talking? Peter's talking. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So repentance here is combined with the idea of turning back, turning back from your sins. It's both turning away from your sins and turning unto God. Um, at, at the end of Acts, in chapter 26, that Paul was sent to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Um, The very word repentance has the idea of kind of a change of mind or or a turning from one thing to to another. And not only does he turn, have this conversion, uh, but as the sinner turns, he purposes and endeavors to walk with God in all the ways of his commandments. And so this resolve, this endeavor, this purpose uh, is an essential part of repentance. Then there are fruits of repentance as that obedience is actually carried out. Uh, So also in Acts 26, verse 20, um, speaking to King Agrippa, Paul says, 
that I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So what, what, is, what fits with repentance? What keeps with repentance? Or as John the Baptist said, what are fruits uh, fitting with repent, fruits of repentance? Uh, it is uh, obedience, even as you turn from disobedience to now begin to obey God as you have turned to him. Any questions on this description of repentance? Psalm 119 describes the the attitude of the godly man towards God's law, and we get things like this, where it says, The Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. So when we, when we come to Christ, we repudiate those sinful ways. We crucify the flesh. And we resolve to walk in all of God's commandments. And that is our conviction. We might fall short of that, and that's why we continue to repent throughout the Christian life. It's not only something that's done once at the beginning of the Christian life, um, but there's no holding back with this resolve. Augustine knew this when he was coming to faith in Christ. He didn't want to convert because he loved his sins, and he didn't want to be rid of them. And it was finally that conviction that in Christ that he would uh, leave behind those sins and cling unto God uh, that he was converted. But understanding that when you come to Christ, there's no reserve, there's no holding on. Well, I'll keep this. Uh, This is dear to me. But no, I promise to keep your words. Oh, look at that. I turned the, closed the book. Let's go to Article 3. Actually, before we go on, someone want to, to summarize this with the catechism answer? What's, what's the catechism answer? What is repentance unto life? Roman, were you, you checking her there on the, the words in front of you there? <laughs> it's on the coloring page. Full purpose of. Oh, oh, sorry. What was that? Oh, yeah. You want to say that one? Very. Thank you. Very good. All right. So let's look at chapter three, which kind of relates repentance and pardon. How do these two things relate to each other? Although repentance be not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Should we trust in our repentance for salvation? No, yes, I'm seeing a lot of people mouthing no, but no is the right answer. Um, does, does repentance pay for our sins? No. Um, 
It does not satisfy justice. Uh, it is not like God lowers the bar and says, I'll take that as good enough. No. How, how is God's justice satisfied? Christ's atoning death. Right. God makes satisfaction. He provides the basis for our forgiveness. He applies that of his grace through faith alone. Uh, so, so repentance is not to be rested in as a satisfaction. Of course, there was the Roman Catholic understanding that, uh, at least in some sense, that you know, we're, we still had to make satisfaction for sins, even though we're forgiven, but the penalty is still there. Is, they had various ways to try to get around that. But you end up with purgatory, where you still have to continue this process even after death. But uh, the Reformers would say, no, once, once you're forgiven, uh, the condemnation and the penalty is all remitted. Um, God has provided that satisfaction. Um, but rather, uh, repentance uh, is our response to God's grace and uh, it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Uh, it is, if you are going to ask, how may I be saved? What must I do to be saved? Uh, faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto God are both uh, things that you should do. Uh, it, it is conditional. None may receive salvation without repentance. Uh, and this is taught in Scripture. For example, at the day of Pentecost, what did Peter tell the people? Repent. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Later on in chapter 3, I already read it, but now with an emphasis on a different part of it, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, the basis of that forgiveness is Christ. Um, the reception of that is through, through faith. But uh, repentance is still a condition. Uh, and part of that is because faith and repentance are so uh, inseparable. Um, in Luke 13, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Uh, faith and repentance come inseparably. There's actually, you know, discussions in theology. Does faith come before repentance or after repentance? Does repentance come first or does faith come first? And it's best just to say they both happen together because how can you have repentance without believing in God's mercy? Uh, but how can you have faith without the uh, repentance for your sins? You know, what are you believing on Jesus for? Um, it's best to see these as, as things that are springing up together in a response to God's word by his grace. Um, and that, you know, faith without repentance is not going to be saving faith. And, and repentance without faith is not going to be repentance unto life. Uh, this is conversion of the sinner unto God. And so they come together so inseparably and even really imply each other that sometimes one or both are mentioned as a response to the gospel. What does Peter say? What shall we do? He says, repent. Uh, what does Paul say to the Philippian jailer? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they contradicting each other? No. There's other times where they say, believe and repent. You know, uh, Jesus, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and believe the gospel. You know, there's, there, um, you can say one, you can say both. 
but they're not contradictory to only say one because it implies the other one. <clears throat> so all, all men everywhere, as Paul said in Athens, are, are commanded to repent. Now, Article 4 is another pithy, uh, important, comforting truth. Article 4 says, As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those that truly repent. Are all sins equally bad? No, some sins are worse than others. But this, even the smallest sin, you know, there is such a thing as a smaller sin, but even the smallest sin deserves damnation, uh, deserves the condemnation unto eternal death. Uh, and so, uh, if you fall short in one point, you know, you're, you're guilty of all, of breaking the law. But there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Think of the, the, the worst sin, and there is still hope for salvation if that person repents. If a person truly repents, that's part of the idea of it being conditional as well. What do you need to do? You know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent unto God, and you will be saved, uh, even if you are the chief of sinners, as Paul himself considered himself to be. Now, there might be an objection in your mind, well, what about the unforgivable sin? You know, what about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Didn't Jesus say that um, that person who commits that sin wouldn't be forgiven in this life or the life to come? And maybe you're already thinking of an answer to that. (laughs) Uh, What what are you... No. (laughs) uh, But the nature of that sin is such that a uh, person who commits it does not repent. Uh, they, they are hardened, become hardened, uh, such that they never repent. So it's still true that there's no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. And that, so that's what we tell people to do with great hope, that if you do this, uh, turn and live, um, that you are not beyond hope if you uh, take hold of the salvation that is offered. Now, Article 5 talks about uh, confessing our sins, uh, particularly men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. So you you should confess your sins generally. Um, What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Roman, do you remember what we say in the Lord's Prayer that has to do with sins? Or, or hope. Oh, right, right, close to that. Forgive us our. Yes, forgive us our debts. So that's a general confession of our sins and a, and a plead for mercy. It's not specifying what all those debts are, uh, but so there is a place, and it's good to seek repentance generally. There's even a place to seek forgiveness, even from hidden faults. Uh, are we able to understand all of our heirs? You know, Psalm 119 says, who can understand his heirs? De- uh, declare me innocent even from hidden faults. Uh, there's a place for that. That is good as well. But we ought not to content ourselves with that. Uh, instead, it's every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly, to examine yourself, 
that when you are aware of a particular sin, to confess that sin unto God and to seek his mercy. It's a lot easier to confess your sins generally and to ignore the particular ones. Um, As uh, A.A. Hodge says, no man has any right to presume that he hates sin in general unless he practically hates every sin in particular. And no man has any right to presume that he is sorry for and ready to renounce his own sins in general unless he's conscious, conscious of practically renouncing and grieving for each particular known sin into which he falls. You know, so how do you know that you hate sin? By hating particular sins. Similar to uh, it's a lot easier to say you love mankind rather than to love the brother than you, that you can see. Uh, so with sins, confess, turn from particular sins particularly. It's one reason in our worship service we both give time for, uh, hopefully that's not the only time you're confessing sins because it's not a huge amount of time, but give a time to examine yourselves, to confess your sins particularly as well as to confess together uh, more generally. And then finally, Article 6 Um, more on repentance and confession. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which in the forsaking of them he shall find mercy, so he that scandalizeth his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance unto those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. So, one implication of this is that private confession to a minister is not necessary for forgiveness, which would be kind of a Roman Catholic teaching. Uh, The Reformers would still say that might be helpful as far as pastoral care is concerned in some situations, but uh, every one of you is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, uh, and that is what Scripture teaches. And that God is the one who forgives those sins. We should pray for the pardon of them. And as Proverbs 28.13 says, the one who confesses his sins and forsakes them shall find mercy. Or as 1 John 1.9 says, you know, those who confess their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But then not only... Are you bound to make private confession of your sins to God? But also, if you've offended someone else by your sin, that you should declare your repentance unto that person by confessing your sin and by sorrowing for that sin, manifesting that sorrow. And a good way to do that is to, to try to make it right, you know, whether it's by uh, giving restitution or depending on the nature of the thing, like Zacchaeus, when you try, when you repentance, uh, trying to make that right which he had done wrong. But by confessing your sin, sorrowing for sin, declare that repentance unto that person that you might be reconciled. And if you've offended the church by your sin, to make a a public confession of sin uh, to the church. And of course, we'll get into church discipline later on, which will play perhaps play a role. But you don't have to wait for church discipline to happen. You know, if you have committed a a public sin to uh, publicly reconcile but it really depends on the nature of the sin, how private it was, how public it was, who, who knows it, what the situation was, that will determine, you know, what is the appropriate confession and response to the sin. Um, but we want to seek reconciliation, to seek peace. Uh, if your brother has something against you, to go to him, to be reconciled to your brother. Uh, and 
if you tell a person his sin and he uh, repents, then to forgive him, as Jesus teaches in Luke 17, 3 through 4. Uh, to be ready to be reconciled to those who sin against you, to have as your goal to gain your brother and to restore the brother who has fallen. And so we are taught uh, in this way uh, to seek peace and restoration among the church. Any final questions here as we close this chapter on uh, repentance unto life? In some ways, repentance uh, can be a topic that uh, is no fun because it involves uh, uh, sorrow for sin and regret for things that you've done and confessing that. It's painful. A lot of people are held back by shame from owning up to their sins, either to God or, you know, to themselves or to others. Uh, But it is the appropriate response to sin, and that's not where you stay. And repentance. Repentance is just as much about turning to God as it is turning from sin. Uh, and it's about that restoration and new life that God directs us to as well, that we might now live a new life, more and more, uh, being converted unto God. And so it's also a positive thing, a good thing, uh, a refreshing thing that brings us from the fear and shame of sin, which is appropriate, but which is also um, taken away uh, through repentance, through a realization of God's mercy in Christ to those who repent. So let's embrace this uh, and live by it in accordance with the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your uh, sin, uh, your, not your sin, Let me start over. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace uh, with respect to our sins. We thank you for your perfect righteousness, which is uh, distinct from all the sinfulness of man, uh, and for your mercy in Christ, so that we might have a place to turn to and find uh, love and a new life of increasing and new obedience We thank you for this grace, and we pray that you would work it in our hearts more and more, that we might hate sin, that we might grieve for sin, that we might see the shamefulness and odiousness of our sins, and turn from them, and see the loveliness of holiness, the the perfection of righteousness, and your own goodness, that we might uh, follow you and walk with you in all the ways of your commandments. Uh, serving you in holiness and righteousness without fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.